0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 3rd, 2022, we continue our series titled, Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Set Your Mind on Christ, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. In the battle that takes place between my redeemed heart, mind, and my unredeemed flesh, who wins the battle your conflict is about who you will feed who are you listening to I run into so many people today that are so fired up and so mad about so many things focus back on the cross focus on what our God has done for us Paul writes and he says these words in Philippians chapter 4 He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There is victory to be had, folks. There is victory to be had. Ultimately, there's a victory that's already taken place. And there'll be even a greater one that's coming. But you don't have to walk in defeat right now. I can agree with what God is doing and just do the things that he tells me to do and walk in victory right now.
1: Last week, Pastor Bob, as we just watched, you know, dealt with a, a great question that it ends in Romans 7. And in 724, it says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And as Bob just closed right there, he said to walk in victory. Man, we're going to see that victory. We're going to see that good news that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ today. These powerful words that Paul is gonna deliver, the therefore that he's going to talk about is the therefore of 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Man, we're gonna look at that today. But with my flesh, My desires, right? My fleshly desires, I serve the law of sin. But look at how he transitions here in Romans 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How about that? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. cannot please God. Man, these are powerful words that he's given us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, as we take your text, as we take these simple verses from one to eight, and we tear them apart, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts, in our minds, that, Lord, we would see the beauty of the gospel and the hope and the blessed assurance we have in your works and in your righteousness and how you have set us free from the the condemnation that came from the law. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and a greater understanding of your son. Amen. When I was thinking through this, um, I don't know why, but a a story in my mind came about. And the story that came about was some years back as I was walking into uh, a building where my office was. There was on the ground floor of this building, there was a, a hair salon, And it was a little mid-rise building, but as I'm walking in the back parking lot, um, and I've been deep in study, right? I was working in corporate America, but I was deep in study of God's word at this time, auditing a number of classes at the local seminary, and I was was just enamored by words. And as I came across um, this young lady getting out of her car, getting ready to go into the office, she worked in the hair salon. As she was getting out of her car, I looked at her car, and on the back of it, she had these bumper stickers. And for whatever reason, it tickled me. It's kind of a bit nerdy for me, but she had the not-of-this-world bumper sticker. And what was interesting to me is that on the other side of the car, she had this other bumper sticker that said, my heart belongs to cosmetology. (laughs) See? I'm not as nerdy as you thought, but I thought it was funny, right? And, and probably for a more geeky sort of way, right? Because cosmetology comes from this Greek term, cosmeticos, right? And the front end of that word is the root word cosmos, right? Which actually means world, right? So she's saying she's not of this world, but her heart belongs to this world. <laughs> I found it humorous. She, of course, sees that I'm looking at her car and laughing, and she immediately goes into, why are you laughing at my car? <laughs> like, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, It's a bit nerdy of me, but there's a bit of a conflict between not of this world <laughs> and your heart belongs to cosmetology. How? And I explained it to her in the root word and all these different things. And she just walked away in a huff, right? And I'm like, man, I didn't want to offend her. I just found it funny, right? And it's, it's just one of those moments, right? Later in the day, I'm coming out of the office, and she is on her knees with a razor blade scraping the cosmetology sticker off her car. <laughs> I'm like... I, I didn't mean for you to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm like, listen, I'm, cosmetology is wonderful. And anyone who is in cosmetology, I'm not attacking your profession, right? So you can send me emails, but I'm just going to forward them to Bob. So don't... <laughs> so don't do that. So, but it's not to offend. But I don't know why she was scraping that off, right? This is one of the biggest challenges of life is to understand and examine motivation. Why do we do what we do? there's oftentimes a difficulty to discern between what am I doing out of my fleshly desire versus what am I doing out of the Spirit of God leading me? This battle that Pastor Bob spoke about last week. The battle is real. The conflict is real. It's no wonder that God's Word tells us to put on the full armor of God because you're entering into a battle And the problem is, is that oftentimes the battle is in fact within you. But when Paul tells us that there is no condemnation, I want to try and give you a a clear definition. Because sometimes I think we confuse condemnation with consequence. And so when he says there is no condemnation, right, he's talking about this idea of censure or blame, Condemnation is a judgment that has resulted or removed your specific position. If Congress were to hold a gathering because of an ethical issue of another congressman or congresswoman, right, that issue would become censure. In other words, they're casting a judgment that you have left the title of being an ethical person. And there could be various consequences as a result of this, but the term condemnation is attacking a judgment, a title that says that you've lost your stature, your position, your right to be here. That's condemnation. Think of it this way when Adam and Eve sinned, God moved them east, He changed their status, He changed their label. They were no longer sons and daughters of the most high God. They were in fact isolated, alienated, separated from God. Moved out of the garden and they had a new label. Sinner. Sinner. These people are sinners. They have all the blame, all of the condemnation that has separated them From a holy God, from that relationship. There's no question that consequence was a part of that equation. But when you think of consequence, consequence is the conclusion, it's the action of the logical responsibility associated to the crime, the result of my action. Consequences can take place in a myriad of different ways. I'm positive that if you play Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel as loud as you can in your car and get the car up to as fast as it popper go and then take your hand, Jesus, take the wheel, he's not going to. <laughs> and you are going to crash and you will suffer the consequences of your decision. But if you are in Christ and still being that stupid, you is, there is no condemnation. You are a child of the most high God. That's what he's saying here today. I think of my own children in my family. Good parenting, bad parenting. Nothing will change the fact that my children are my children. And although they make decisions sometimes that cost them consequence, there is no condemnation because nothing can separate them from the love of their father just as Paul's building to, that nothing can separate you from the love of your Father. There is no condemnation. When we start to look at it, Paul is trying to get us into a different mindset. Paul is trying to get us to focus on how we think, how we process, how we look at the circumstances of life, and to look at them through the filter of the Holy Spirit, not through what your desires tells you to do. He says in Romans 8, 6, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So let's look at how he gets there. Point one today is that We're looking at the results of Christ Jesus. These are the results of the works and the righteousness and the perfection of the God-man who incarnated himself. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and he sacrificed everything to bring his bride into the fold to make you a little brother or a little sister of Jesus Christ. He brought you into his kingdom and adopted you as sons and daughters and made you a part of the family. Look at the results. He says, there is, in verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's flesh that out a little bit, right? Some of us go through life with, works-based theology. We're just trying to perform our way into good graces with God. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you don't have to work your way into the kingdom. You are in the kingdom if Christ is in you. This world is filled with guilt-based theology, performance-based theology. The world itself condemns. People condemn. Religion condemns. Jesus did not come to this earth to condemn it. It was already condemned. You don't have to bear that burden and take it with you every single day because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a part of his family and nothing can separate you from that. Somehow, in our legalism, in our performance-based thing, we know in our head we know that Jesus didn't come to condemn, and therefore we walk away and we say, Well, it must be my job. <laughs> if Jesus didn't do it, he's probably entrusting it to me. <laughs> we spend an entire life constantly comparing, constantly looking at things, constantly telling people, Man, you're not a brother or sister in Christ if you act that way. That's not our place to say. He says there is therefore. The therefore, right? right? We always have to ask the question. I go back to elementary school. If it says therefore, you have to understand why is it therefore, right? And so therefore, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Therefore, Therefore, there's now no condemnation. He's answering the question who's going to serve you from this body of death? Jesus Christ. You look at the contrast of life, the law of the Spirit of life versus the law of sin and death. We cannot work our way into this kingdom. You have been brought into this kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit through the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ not of your own doing. I've been saved by grace through faith, not of works should any man boast, but it's the free gift of God. When he tells us that there's now no condemnation, how do I get there, right? Look at when we look at John 3, 17 and 18, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That doesn't mean it's your job. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him, here's the qualifier, believes in him is not condemned. But here's the contrast. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, your sin isn't working you into condemnation, you were born condemned. And God pulled you out of that condemnation by giving you the spirit and the power to believe. Because he has not believed, why? In the name of the only son of God, right? When we serve the law of God with our mind versus with the flesh, and we serve the law of sin, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus, he says, this is the qualifier. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, We looked at this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free, and the free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But the critical point is that we have to be in. In Christ, what does that mean? How are we free? How are you freed in your position? Because your position was condemned, labeled, sinner, separated from God. My entire identity has been changed when I have become saved by grace. When I realize that I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a co-heir. Do you realize all the places in Scripture that it talks about your part in the monarchy of God in his kingdom? That you as a believer will judge the quick and the dead. That you will be standing with Christ at the great white throne judgment and participating in the judgment of those who did not believe. That you inherit everything because of what Christ did and how Christ adopted you and made you intentionally a part of his family. You may find yourself maybe being a people pleaser, a person who suffers from the idol of approval, right? There's nothing wrong with approval. There's nothing wrong with being liked and approved by people. But when we make that the highest purpose for which we endeavor, it's just simply called idolatry. The heart of mankind is an idol manufacturer. We're constantly looking for approval. We're constantly looking for control of outcome. We're constantly trying to idolize our reputation, our respect, Our security. There's nothing wrong with these things in their general, but when we, in fact, make them the highest purpose, it's just simply called idolatry. I have a hard time, although myself tends to be more of a people pleaser. I have this hard time understanding, why do I keep doing this? Why why do I know that I am loved and liked by the most high God of this universe, but think that I need to win someone's approval? that makes no sense. We're going to encounter consequence in our life. And every time we step out of our lane line and we put our hope and our trust in something other than God himself, we realize the consequence of that decision. What's happening is that at that brief moment you're forgetting that God adopted you. And you're making something else more important than the one true God. He not only loves you, he likes you. And because he adopted you, there is no condemnation. Your position is secure. You're in Christ. Point two is understanding that it is God who acted and it is God who fulfilled The original law. He says in verse 3 he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the flesh had no ability to keep the law. And he did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. So the law still had to be fulfilled. The covenant made with Adam that you live a perfect life and you can live eternally with God had to be fulfilled. And he says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So looking at it in verse three, he says in the first part, he says, God acted. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So God acted on this. How did he act on it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This is a brief little picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This man, when you sit there and you think about it, man, uh, people say to me all the time, man, Jeff, I, I could have a lot of respect for Christianity, but, but it's really, it's such a narrow-minded view, Christianity. I said, wow, Really? I said, because I have faith in a guy who was born of a virgin. I have faith in a God who used the staff of Moses to part the Red Sea. I have faith in a God who became man and walked on water. I'm not sure you can really qualify those as narrow-minded. This is a holy God. God became flesh and he dwelt among us. He got here because Mary was come, uh, overcome by the Holy Spirit. She became with child. The seed of that child was God himself. And the seed of her was 100% human. Or the egg, I should say. And in that was born to us the God-man. He, unlike you and me, was not conceived in sin. He was conceived in purity. He was conceived by the power of God. And in his perfect likeness of sinful man, he came and perfectly lived a life and fulfilled the law of God by not sinning. And therefore, there is no condemnation in his death, and he resides with God the Father for all eternity. And those that believe in him that are of Christ and are now in Christ, because Christ is in you in the spirit that he sent to be in you, you are in fact one, and you will reign with him for all eternity. Hallelujah. But why? He came because the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, because we have to live a perfect life. And because I have no ability to do that, he lived that life me and gave me his righteousness so that I would be seen by God the Father as holy and blameless God acted in verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us and the fulfillment was that we would walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit the in us not of us that Christ would work in us. We as Christians, just as the first bumper sticker said, are not of this world. We're just in this world. We're here to represent the most high God. We're here to represent the God of this earth according to the powers of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit he desires from us, not the fruit of you. You don't have to perform your way into his righteousness. You don't have to pretend that you're not a sinner. You have to depend. You have to trust by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does that spirit work? Point three, we have to have a mind that is set on the spirit. Verses five through eight lay this out for us. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, an enemy of God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He places this thought in both a negative and a positive. He's showing us the contrast. The negative in verse 5 is that for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, you're going to respond to your desire. James 1.14, you're going to be lured and enticed by your own desire. Paul tells us in Romans 1, that you've been handed over because of this fall, because of this uh, Adamic covenant, you have been handed over to your own desires, your own lust. God told Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to yours, but you must master it. Your life as a Christian is to master desire, fleshly desire, to recognize it when it's luring and enticing you away from the path of God. He looks at it in the positive because he says in the same verse five, he says, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. You gotta start examining the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in the negative, in verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But in the positive, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Oh, we long to have peace, don't we? especially in this world. Look at the negative again in verse seven, and it implies the very thing that he said at the tail end of verse six. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Therefore, set your mind on the spirit. Look at verse eight. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, so set your mind on the spirit. So what does Paul mean here when he says that peoples in the flesh are hostile to God? It's very direct. It's a very direct distinction that he's laying here. He means that the hostility of disbelief is in fact idolatry. Idolatry towards the one true God. In fact, you can't violate commandments two through 10 unless you violate first commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other God but the one true God. God if your mind is already lost on who you're worshiping at that moment then your fleshly desire has won because he says for it does not submit to God's law it's ignoring God's law it's pursuing its desire not the desires of God people make the God that they want and they refuse to accept at times the God that is We violate commandments number one before we violate commandments two through 10. We make things in life like approval, control, security, reputation. We make them our little G gods, not our capital G gods. This is in fact our fleshly desire. And in that fleshly desire, it cannot, it has no ability to please God All the people in this world could give you a thumbs up on your Facebook or your social media page that they like you. It means nothing in the presence and the power of a holy God. Because it ignores the simple fact that this God not only loves you, he likes you. You cannot please God in the flesh. Your mind has to be captured and set on the spirit You cannot just be a spiritual person. You can't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm just going to be a spiritual person, very positive about everything. You're probably just a people pleaser. You must, in fact, be in Christ. And to be in Christ, you must have the Holy Spirit within you. And for this, you must, in fact, be born again. Listen to what Jesus said. He said to Nicodemus in John 3:3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no ability within you without the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom of God. The reason why he's putting it in this language to be born again is he's trying to point to the obvious. You and I have no more power of this second birth than we did of our first It's why Nicodemus is confused. Do I have to return to my mother's womb? None of us sat there in this galaxy far, far away saying, you know what, that looks like a really neat couple. I'd like to be their child. It doesn't work that way. And your second birth didn't work that way either. The God of this universe set his affection upon you before the very foundation of the world. He put his premeditated love upon you and he pulled you out of a condemned world and he saved your soul and he set you free from the law, the bondage of the law so that you could follow him. Just like the rich young ruler. Oh, then give everything you have to the poor and come follow me. And why does he walk away ashamed? Because he realized he can't keep commandment number one. And his money was his God. Without the kingdom of God, there is no spirit. Without the spirit, there is no life. Without the spirit, there is no peace. This is where Paul's building us to. He's trying to get your mind into the right place. He's going to take us to Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Take, get rid of your desires, is what he's saying, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, and you will go through tests and consider it pure joy if the Spirit is in you. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. But if your mind isn't on the Spirit, you'll miss it every single time. I love to give a process to deal with this. It comes from Philippians 4. Bob read it, even in our, in our pre-bumper here, right? He was reading Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers, listen to what Paul is saying here. This is coming on the heels of him saying, rejoice always. Again, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice always. And then he follows that up with, be anxious for nothing. you got to be kidding me. I deal with people. You want me to rejoice? They drive cars. They stand in the middle of the grocery line. Got the whole aisle blocked off. I'll just sit here and wait. Pick a side. Finding it pure joy. Right? Oh my gosh, lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I'm not going to be anxious about that. <laughs> how would I possibly do that? Paul is going to give you the answer. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things and what will happen. And the God of peace will be with you. But you got to practice them. you got to renew your mind. As I call the worship team and the prayer team to be ready to be here to pray with us and to pray for us, I want you to understand we hear this phrase I heard it growing up I heard it in sports right practice makes perfect no Jesus Christ makes perfect practice makes peace not perfection practice makes peace you must renew your mind to set it on the spirit here's how the spirit would think If you are in Christ and he is in you, you belong to God and are his and in that there is no condemnation. Nothing can change your position with this God. So when you find yourself at that crossroad and you're trying to gain favor through people-pleasing or control in your works, whatever it may be, do this for yourself. Identify the lie. What's the lie that has you standing thinking and feeling what you feel right now? And then contrast it with what actually is the truth in Christ? You see, I don't need approval from people because I'm loved and liked by the most high God of this universe because I am in fact a child of God. What's honorable about that truth? That Jesus Christ came to this earth and he saved me and put his affection upon me. That's what's honorable about that truth. What's just about that truth? Because he lived a perfect life. He sacrificed and substituted himself for me. That's what's just about that truth. What's pure about that truth? His life was perfect. He who knew no sin became sin on my part. That's what's pure about that truth. What's lovely about that truth? Are you kidding me? He came he didn't have to. He came and He poured His life out so that I could have eternity with God through His righteousness, through His perfection. What's commendable about that? I'm at a loss for words. He gave everything. What's excellent about that truth? He is. What can I possibly praise about that truth but Him? How do I think on that without the distractions of my desires and the world? How do I take what I've learned, what I've received, what I've heard in the apostles, what I've seen in the truth? How do I apply his word to my decision-making? How do I practice these things? Well, I do this. I preach the gospel to myself over and over and over again. And I go back to the fact, what is the truth? What's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy? Think about those things. And then, and then, every single time, the peace of God is with me. The ultimate contrast in our text today in one for eight is understanding the contrast between verse one and verse eight. The only way we know peace of God is in Christ. Look at what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation in verse one for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the positive news. But there are people out there who still don't know Christ and we're here to share the gospel with them because of the negative, because those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You have blessed peace. And why do you have that peace? It's this bumper sticker. This bumper sticker, it says, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. It's powerful. You see, the strength of any true believer is our alignment with God's spirit. This alignment is in direct correlation with what the Christian chooses to focus their mind on. This is the renewing of your mind. A focus on God's word will cause a person to see things from God's perspective and to respond in a way that glorifies him. A focus on pop culture or worldly philosophy or conventional wisdom will inevitably cause one to take the perspective of the flesh and it will subtly or not so subtly warp our decision-making. Brothers and sisters, don't get sucked into this world. You're not of this world. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. For there's no condemnation. You're a member of God's family living in the world we are constantly bombarded with values and desires of the flesh unless of course we take steps to counteract those messages we will find ourselves out of step with the spirit of god who lives within you because for those who are in christ jesus there is therefore no condemnation so keep your mind fixed on christ For you're a child of the Most High God. You're in that family. And there is no fear of ever losing your position. Because in that family, there is no condemnation. Amen? As we all stand to worship our holy God, keep in mind that he's done it all. That our hope is found in him and in him alone because he made it all true. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, I can't encourage you enough to think on those things, what he's done. Live by the spirit, not by the flesh. And have the blessed assurance that there is no condemnation. Don't confuse that with the consequences of your poor decision making because even in your poor decision making and that's not an entitlement that's not an encouragement to go sin all the more right we've already talked about that it is in fact to encourage you that nothing that you're going to do or say is going to pull you out of the hands of this loving savior if your faith is in him for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our father and our god lord we ask that you would protect us, that you would encourage us, that you would help work in our hearts to reveal when we're being lured and enticed away from you and that we would think on those things that is those things that are true, those things that are honorable, those things that are just those things that are pure, those things that are lovely the excellency of those things Lord that we would practice these things and that the God of peace would be with us men. Amen. Now, our prayer team is down here. Come visit. Come pray. Come praise. But minister to one another. I love you. Have a great week.